Thank you. Um, I would just say this. Um, you're probably figuring it out. I'm not from around here. Um, I am from the free country, the great country of Texas. Um, but I uh, spent uh, 42 years there, but got to Colorado as soon as I could. And uh, we love it here. My family actually loves it here. Uh, Dave was, was one of the first guys that we met here. And, man, we just love your family. We love you, Kelly. Um, it's great that we have this partnership and this family of churches. And I think we're probably the newest church in the family. And part of the motivation for that is... Um, uh, part of the motivation for that, we just saw how these family of churches work together. We love each other. We support each other um, in those things. But in the midst of what has gone on in 2020 uh, with COVID and all of that, we sat down as a church and going, how can we not just survive this, but how can we thrive um, in the midst of everything that, that's going on? And the great benefit was being a part of the, the Calvary family of churches, and we're we're excited to be be partners with you guys. And you guys know 2020 was, man, I don't think anybody really saw that coming, just the way things happened. And now we're, we're um, just over a month into 2021, and I think everybody's kind of holding their breath, right? We've kind of got like this low-key um, tension that, that I think everybody's experiencing with, um, whether it be COVID or our political climate or just... Even the, uh, I see the attacks on the church and different things like that. There's this, just kind of a low-key tension. Is anybody else experiencing that? Is it just, all right, I'm not alone, so this may be good for us if I can, we can walk through Psalm 13 today. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've kind of found myself um, praying a lot harder lately. I mean, just, just really crying out to the Lord, just hitting my knees and in, in almost in a, in, a, in a point where, God, I don't even know how to pray because I see the things that are going on and my heart is broken and, and I see that just so how our uh, culture has so much effect on people and it's, it's just going the opposite the way of what God calls us to and, and, and my heart breaks for this and, and it's almost in a panic of praying, God, God, how long is this going to last? God, we need you to show up. We need you to do some things it's because we see some, some areas of our lives that are almost helpless. Because we, we go, God, this is something that I can't fix. And God, we need you to do some things. And I don't know about you guys. Maybe, maybe you found yourself in a spot where maybe you felt alone or maybe alienated. Maybe something's going on in your life and and you just don't know how to deal with it. And maybe you just feel isolated alone and, and, and maybe just uncertain of what the future holds. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. I have been there. Well, what I want us to do this morning, you probably, as we read through Psalm 13, you're like, really? Psalm 13, Really? I love Psalm 13. I want us to take a look at God's Word uh, this morning. I want us to, to find some rest for our weariness because this is where we find it in God's Word. I want to, to look at His Word because it's a safe place to look. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, everyone said, Bible study is the metal that makes a Christian. This is the, the strong meat on which holy men are nourished. This is that which makes 
the bone and sinew of men who keep God's way in defiance of every adversary. We go to God's word. And it's good. I mean, it is good. And even when we look at Psalm 13, you're going, I look at this and I'm going, man, there is so much good in here. The depths of Scripture are absolutely unfathomable and they are unsearchable. It's good for us to come to God's Word and, and just meditate on it and seek these hidden truths that, are, that God has given to us. And it is a gift. This is, this is what I tell our church all the time. I said, it blows me away that God wrote a book. He wrote a book and go, hey, I wrote a book for you. And we would do good to just open God's book and, and just read it and soak in the goodness of His book. He wrote a book. It's so good. So I want us to look at Psalm 13, six verses. A psalm that a lot of people would consider dreary or almost not uplifting. However, I want us to see there's some, there's some great hope in here. There's some great truths in Psalm 13 that I want us to, to just look at. I'm going to read the psalm again because it's short. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let me just pray for us. Father, this morning I just ask that you God, would you just recline here with us today? Would you be comfortable here with us today as we look at your word? Father, I pray that your your word would speak. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just empower. I pray that it would convict. I pray that it would just lead us to the goodness of who you are. And Father, for us that have just wrestled with things, whether it be over the past day, week, months, or even years, Father, I pray that In that wrestling, we would come to you and we would find rest for our weary souls in the goodness of who you are. So, Father, may your face shine upon us this morning. May we see the goodness of who you are in the midst of chaos that is this broken world. God, just show us hope and truth and and peace in the goodness of who you are. And that's my prayer, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You ever prayed like Psalm 13 before? You ever just hit your face and go, God, when? When is this going to stop? When is something has to change? God, I'm, I'm hurting and, and I don't know what to do. Have you ever come to the Lord and go, God, how long? How long? You ever reached that point in your life when you felt as though God is, is just not near? Maybe felt that maybe God, have you abandoned me? Ask the question, God, have you abandoned me? Maybe, maybe ask the question, God, are you listening? Do you hear? Anybody struggle with that? I see here in 
this psalm of David is utter desperation. David's in despair. In the South, what we call David's in a bind. That's what we say. He's in a bind. He's hurting. He's at the end of his rope and he feels abandoned by God. And four times throughout this psalm, he says, How long, O Lord? Four times, six verses. How long, O Lord? I think we've all been to that point in our lives at least once or twice maybe where we've just, God, I'm at the end of my rope and how long, O Lord? How long? We've been in despair and we cry to God and it seems as though, God, you're just distant. And God, why are you hiding your face? Why are you hiding your face from me? But we cry to Him. And that's a good thing. Church, that is a good thing to cry, just like David did, to cry out to God. We cry out to Him in desperation because we've read our Bibles. We've seen passages of Scripture that we read in there and goes, it says this is what we are to do. We know passages. There's just a few of them here. Mark 11, 22 through 24. These are Jesus' words. It says, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. You ever read that passage and going, God, I'm, I'm praying and I'm, I'm clinging to this, but I don't see anything happening. You ever been there before? Whenever I've got faith and there's this huge mountain in front of me and I'm praying, God, and I'm seeking you. But the mountain's not yet moving. You ever been there? Maybe you see Mark 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And you pray and go, God, I'm... I'm wrestling with my faith. I'm trying to trust in you and I'm hoping in you. And I know what your word says. If I have faith in God, you go, God, where's my faith? I'm, I'm trusting. Or maybe you've read John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you've cried out to God and said, God, I'm asking in your name. Coming to you and my faith is, is shaky. Gotta believe. Help my unbelief. You ever been there? So what do we do? These are all Jesus' own words, and he's saying, just pray and trust God, and God will hear and God will answer. And I read those verses and I read Psalm 13, and I'm going, man, there's a big difference here. So how do we contrast Psalm 13 with passages like Mark 11 and Matthew 21 and John 14? How do we, how, what do we do with those? How do we contrast that? Well, let me encourage you. The Bible never, ever contradicts itself. In fact, the Bible interprets the Bible. And it's true, every word of it, from table to contents to genuine leather. We can believe everything in there. And it is good stuff for us. So what do we do with Psalm 13 and the words of Jesus? I want to offer us a fresh look at Psalm 13. In fact, a message of encouragement in Psalm 13. Because we've all been there. We've all hit our knees or our face and going, Oh God, how long? How long will I endure this? This is what I want us to do. Just a fresh look at Psalm 13. 
And with this fresh look, I pray that we can, we can take confidence in the words of Jesus, and the Gospels, and along with Psalm 13. i got five things I just want to pull out, just good, just solid, basic truths out of Psalm 13 I want us to see this morning. And the first one is this. When we feel like this, we need to remember that we're not alone. You are not the only one, and I'm not the only one that has felt utter despair. Proof of it is sitting right in front of us. David has been there, King David. A man after God's own heart, he was there. He's he's a man after God's own heart, but with a raw cry of despair, he calls to the Lord. He, He was there before we were there. In Scripture, he's not the only one either. There's a psalm of Asaph in Psalm 77. Listen to this. It's verses 1 through 9. Listen to this cry to the Lord. He said, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the the night my hand is stretched out without without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? This is Asaph. And I think we could walk through scripture and we could find numerous people that have have just found themselves of going, God, where are you? But we have to remember that we're not alone and we're not the first people that have ever experienced Things like this. And, and I think what we can do is we can look through this and see where God has come to the rescue. We can take confidence in that because when, when David cries out here in Psalm 13, God does come to his rescue. We can take confidence in that. There's a lot of people that have felt this way. And we need to understand that we're not alone. And I know when despair strikes, we often feel that We're the only ones ever going through it. We're the only ones that's ever experienced that. I think we can take confidence in knowing that we're not. And here's the blessing of a a good church. It's coming to those that when we're hurting, we're wrestling with something, more than likely there are brothers and sisters that love us deeply that have already gone through that and have that experience and they can come and walk us through that. And we can come to God's Word and find guidance for, for that as well. We need to trust that we're not the only one of God's people that have ever felt this way. There should be something to that. Because God loves His kids. And He cares for His kids. Better than we could ever care for our own children. God loves His kids. And He hears their cry. Even when we don't think so. Here's number two. We need to remember that these were God's words before they were David's. 
I love this part. This has struck me as a study for this man. These are, these are God's words before they were even David's words. Let me prove it to you. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hmm. They were God's words before ours. If this is true, then Psalm 13 and even Psalm 77 of Asaph is God's gift to us. Have you ever considered Psalm 13 being a gift to you from God? Remember, God wrote a book. And he goes, hey, I want to give you this book. This book is not about you. It's about me, but it's certainly for you. But I want you to see this. I want you to see my heart for you. And we certainly see God's heart even in Psalm 13. This is God's gift to us as an avenue to cry to Him. It's like God saying, hey, you want to really know how to cry out to me? Here, I wrote it down. You can do this. It's a way that we can come to the Lord and we can bear our hearts to Him and, and even complain. What we see here is that when we are at the end of our rope, this is God's way of lengthening the rope for us is His Word. He's given us words of complaint unto Him even in our misery. And this is God's open invitation for us to turn to Him with our woes and our struggles and fears and not to the world. Because the world will tell you all kinds of ways to complain and fight and rebel and to deal with the things that, that ache our hearts, maybe in a bottle or through something else, to deal with it this way, or deep depression, or just fight back, or those things. And this is God saying, don't do that. Come to me and cry to me. Don't cry to something else. Because those things will never, ever fulfill you. He and He alone fulfills us. And He says, here, come to me. Come to me. And I love this. This is, this is a pure form of worship. A lot of people, I've talked to, to Christians and they say, well, we should never question God. Well, show me how that's not in Scripture. I believe David does it several times in our passage here. But here's the key, here's the key to that. Oftentimes our problem is when we question God, we don't want His answer, we want our own answer. I think when we question God, the purpose behind it is saying, God, I want to hear your answer. I want to hear what you have for me. I love this form of worship. God over and over and over beckons us to bring these things to him because he is a loving father that welcomes our strife. God says, bring me your junk, right? Bring me your hardships. Bring me your troubles. Bring those things to me because if you give them to the world, they will not fix them. God says, bring that stuff to me. He's a loving father that loves his kids. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. 
All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How often do we run to something else to solve our problems? How often do we run to something else to take some pain away? What we should be doing is hitting our knees and going, God, I need you. I need you, and I trust in you. Here's number three. In his silence, God answers. Sometimes God answers our prayers with silence. And there's a purpose for that. See, often we pray to God to relieve us of something. And I firmly believe that God is more concerned with our spiritual health than our physical health. Because the truth is, our physical health is going to fade one day. God knows what we need before we need it. He knows exactly what we need way before we need it. Matthew 6, sorry, verse 31, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these, all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He said he knows it. But look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Jesus says we are to seek the kingdom of God first. Seek God's kingdom first. And here's often the issues. Our eyes are often on our own kingdom and not God's kingdom. And man, we just miss it. We miss so much when we focus our eyes on our own kingdom and not God's kingdom. We miss the goodness of who God is and what He can do and the experiences that He invites us into when we focus on our own kingdom and not God's kingdom. So in God's loving us and teaching us, God sometimes answers with silence to gain our focus on His kingdom. I want you to think about when God is silent and you continue to cry to Him. Think about when God is quiet and you pray and maybe it's something you're going through now or you have before, whether it be a physical illness or something spiritual or just a wrestling with a relationship or whatever, and you've just cried out and cried out and cried out and you haven't heard, heard from God. What does it do? What does it do? For me, I know it often focuses me, drives me further on my face in prayer and crying to the Lord. I'm crying out to Him and it gets me to a place where my kingdom fades away can begin to see God's kingdom more clearly. And that is good for us. Focus is more on Him. See, often the ordinary cares of the world seem insignificant. And our focus increases on the Lord. And that's what it should do. Theologians call this uh, educative desolation. I like that term. I'm not sure I completely understand what all it means, but it really sounds good really sounds good. This is the way it was described to me. This is God's intentionally hiding of His presence 
from the senses of his children. And he does this to increase our desire for him. Hmm. As you read Psalm 13, do you think David was growing closer to the Lord in his cry to him or further away? Oh, closer. Absolutely closer. Because the things of the world and his kingdom began to shrink. And what he was seeing was the goodness of God's kingdom. And that was what his focus was was on there. And God used this quietness, this, this, this time of desolation to draw David back. And he often does that to us as well. He does this to bring our souls to humiliation, grief, and despair. And he does these things in order that that the part of our soul that seeks glory for our own kingdom is that and is easily exalted, it may return to humility in seeking the King of Kings' kingdom and glory. And it's good. It is good. It's a way God awakens our soul's affections for Him. When God does not seem near, we need to check our affections. And what, what kingdom are we really focused on? Here's number four. This is probably the most important and probably the most encouraging. God is always near where he's always, He always has been. He's always near where He has always been. You see, God doesn't walk away passage after passage after passage after passage. God's word says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that doesn't mean for a day or for a minute or for a millisecond. God loves his kids. And when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. Not for one millisecond. He may be quiet, but he's there where he has always been. Psalm 34 Verses 17 through 22 says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Amen. Amen. This is beautiful here because what it says is God is here. He is near. He is with us. But so often people will say, well, we'll, we'll say, say they'll complain to God and say, where was God when? Where was God when my child was hurting? Where was God when my relationship was falling apart? Where was God when all of this trouble is going on? People even say, now where is God now in our country? Same place. He has always been on His throne. Where is God where is God? Where is God? I hear people that are not believers. They say, you believe in this God. How can He allow these things to happen and allow those things to happen? Where is God? Where is God when all of these evil things happen? 
greatest evil man has ever committed was some 2,000 years ago when they nailed the Messiah. We nailed the Messiah to the cross. And people say, well, where is God now? God's at the same place He was when Christ was nailed to the cross. With deep affection, deep affection for His people. Broken hearted. Where's God? The same place. The same place. When for the first time ever, the Father and the Son felt some separation there. He's at the same place. Deep affection for His people. As Isaiah tells us, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. Imagine how hard that would have been, it would be for us to take our child and allow that to happen. It's a deep affection for His people. Anguish that would allow Christ to go and take upon the wrath of God on the cross for all of those who would believe in Him. Where was God? Same place. Where is God now? The same place. In deep love and affection for His people. They would, that Jesus would go to the cross and take, take the wrath. He's at the same place. So in your hurt and your despair, and your worry of all of the evil just transpiring around Him, and you cry, where is God? He's at the same place that He was when Christ hung on the cross. And do you trust in that? Do you, my question to you is, do you trust? Do you trust in God's love that if He loves you enough to crucify Christ on your behalf, do you trust Him in your troubles now? Kind of puts things into perspective for me. Same place. He has not wavered. He has not stepped away for one second. His deep affection for you is so great. So great. That it was His will to crush Christ. It's a beautiful thing that we have the promise of eternal life. This light and momentary afflictions that we deal with now pale in comparison to the unhindered glory that we get when we just put our hope and our trust in God. Even in our despair, we cry, How long, O Lord? But know this there is an end. A love that says He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And He will welcome us into His unhindered glory for all eternity. The goodness of God unhindered for all eternity. So what do we do with this? I see Psalm 13 as such a great encouragement for us. And I'm so encouraged by verses 5 and 6. This is the last thing I have this morning. This is verses 5 and 6. Because this is our response. Our response should be worship. Because we know the goodness of God. 
Here is King David crying out, How long, O Lord, how long? My enemy rises up over me. How long shall they be exalted over me? How long? Consider and answer me, O God. Oh, I can't even sleep. I feel like I'm going to die. He says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. My enemies, they rejoice over me. How long, O Lord, how long, how long, how long? And then he comes to verse 5 and 6. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Man, our response even in this, it should be worship. should be worship because even David, King David in his despair here, He knows what is good for his soul is to worship the Lord. He knows that's where healing comes from. And it kind of sums up all of these other things that we've talked about is this worship. David's complained and cried out to God. And at the end of the psalm, he says, I remember, I remember how good you've been to me. I remember, God, I know I'm hurting right now, but I remember I was in a far worse place. And here's the thing. If you are a Christian right now, you were at one time separated from God in a far far further and worse place than you are right now. Because the wrath of God remained upon you. But if you trust in Jesus, now that wrath is gone. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take hope in that because here is the hope in this. If your world on this earth literally and utterly falls to pieces for the rest of your life, your hope is in Christ and eternity with Him. And, that, and this trouble here pales in comparison to that. Remember Christ's steadfast love for you. Remember God's steadfast love for you. Rejoice in your salvation. When things are horrible, things seem as though they are falling apart, remember your salvation and rejoice in that. Yeah, you may be eternally ill, but you know Jesus. Your relationship may be, my relationships may be in, in trouble and you've done everything you know to fix it and it just seems like maybe it'll be misery for the next few months or years or whatever, but you know Jesus. You have eternity with Him. Maybe you're in financial despair right now, but here's the thing. One day that'll come to end because you know Jesus. There'll be no need for money. Rejoice in your salvation. Sing to the Lord because he, because of his salvation. He has dealt bountifully with me. This means that God has given grace and mercy through Christ Jesus. A gift that we do not deserve. We get not wrath, but grace. In that we should rejoice. Because things could be a lot worse. God's wrath could remain upon us. You know, things are really not that bad. Because in reality for the believer, this, is, this life is the worst things will, will ever be. And then we get unhindered glory of God for all eternity. And for the unbeliever... 
man, this is just a taste. For the unbeliever, the, the trouble that you're feeling now is just a taste. It's just a taste. It's just the beginning. What will you do in times of trouble? You're not alone. You're not alone. You have brothers and sisters that have experienced, more than likely experienced what you're going through. And that is God's gift to the church. God gives us an avenue to cry to Him as well. And it's His word. He says, come to me. Say these things. Trust in me. You can cry out to me. You can ask me how long. It's okay. This is permission. This is permission to come to God and go, God, how long? How long? He always answers. It may be in silence. And it may be in time. But He always answers. And He's always near. Always. So my big question to you, will your response be worship? Will you find hope and peace and goodness and joy in worship? In worship of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm, I'm grateful for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. Father, I thank you just for this morning. God, just to be with the saints, to, to join in fellowship with the saints here at Calvary Derby Hill with our brothers and sisters that know Jesus and that love you. And Father, what a goodness, just a goodness it is to open your word and trust in that. And Father, I thank you for the encouragement that you give us through your word. And God, I know that all of us have been at the very end of our rope. And I thank you for the opportunity just that you give us to hang on and that you lengthen that rope, that you are good, that you love your kids. And you go to great lengths to show us that you are with us and that you will never leave us and forsake us. That that Christ was on the cross for us and that is proof for us. And my hope and my prayer is that we will rejoice in our salvation that we will remember your steadfast love for us. Steadfast, unwavering, never moving, never decreasing. Steadfast love for us. And Father, I pray that that would be the anchor for our soul. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.